0: Welcome to this week's podcast, at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, good morning, guys. Welcome to Bergen Park Church. Uh, My name is Jonah. I'm one of the elders pastors here at BPC. Uh, You know that today is Halloween. You may not know that today is also a day on the liturgical calendar of the Protestant Church known as Reformation Sunday So the last Sunday in October, Reformation Sunday, where we look back at the work of the reformers as they were at the time, really pushing back against uh, some things that had gone wrong in the Catholic Church. Uh, this would have been uh, 1500s. So Martin Luther, uh, he went and nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg in Germany, and really sparked this whole movement where people were starting to question uh, the teaching of of the church at the time and say, well, no, Scripture is ultimately the authority that we need to follow in our spiritual life. Uh, Salvation is not by works. According to Scripture, salvation is by uh, the justification that is given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. So that was really what was behind uh, the Reformation, moving back towards Scripture, back toward uh, the centrality of Jesus Christ in in the Christian life, so if you've got some time this week, maybe look that up, Uh, refresh on your Reformation history, maybe read some Martin Luther, some John Calvin, the Institutes of the Christian Religion, that's a good one. Big, thick, heavy book, but uh, good stuff, so. Anyway, you probably saw in the bulletin and in the weekly email uh, that normally Jason would, would be up here today uh, teaching from Ecclesiastes. So we had kind of a last-minute change of, of plan, so um, he'll be back in uh, next Sunday to, to take you through Ecclesiastes. Today I'm going to step in and take us to the book of Hebrews. So we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 1, and I want to look at uh, verses 1 through 4 uh, this morning. So we'll get there in just a moment. But can I just start by saying, start by reminding you that Jesus loves you. Um, I need to remember that sometimes. A lot of times, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the eternal Son of God, loves his church. So one of the ways that uh, God demonstrates his love for us is that he reveals his heart to us. He wants us to know who He is. And there are two ways that we discover who God is. One way is through the Word, the Scripture, the Bible, the Word made text. And the other way that God reveals His love for us is through the Son, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. So we have these two things working together, the Word made text. And the word made flesh, revealing to us the heart of God. So God communicates perfectly through his word and through his actions, right? God communicates exactly what he wants us to know, and he shows us exactly who he is. When God speaks, we need to listen, and that's what I want us to focus on today. God has spoken wondrous things through his son, Jesus Christ. The son who speaks the love of God to us by giving his life in our place at the cross. God has spoken. Now the question is, are we listening? Are we listening? Now humans are not always good at communication. We've all had our challenges with communication. We don't always say what we mean. We don't always hear what we should. I was preaching in our church plant in Lyon. My wife and I had spent a number of years in France. We planted a church in the city of Lyon. And I was up preaching one time, giving this beautiful, what I thought was a beautiful, presentation of the gospel message, um, talking about how there's this rift this chasm between us and God, and you've got God over here and man over here, and this chasm of sin that separates us can only be filled in by the cross, going through that whole thing. And I started noticing people in the congregation were kinda whispering to one another, chuckling a little bit, and at one point everybody just burst out laughing. I I lost the whole audience at that point. And I had to pause for a moment and ask myself, okay, some, something's wrong here. I said something wrong. I know I did. What did I say? And it quickly dawned on me that I had made just a slight mispronunciation of a word, a very important word. And instead of talking about the chasm that exists between us and God, the chasm of sin, uh, the word in French would be uh, "gouffre," I accidentally said, um, "gulf." which means waffle. So here I am telling this beautiful presentation of the, the waffle that stands between us and God. The only way to bridge the waffle, to eliminate this waffle between us is through the cross. I imagine my presentation of the gospel kind of fell on deaf ears that day. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit can work through those circumstances. Perhaps every time these people eat waffles, they're going to remember. They're going to remember the gospel, right? So God can redeem our miscommunications. But my point here is that God doesn't get it wrong. God communicates perfectly through His Word and through His Son. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 1, and we will read verses 1 through 4. Long ago, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you have spoken through the prophets, through the apostles, and ultimately through Jesus Christ, the Son. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us today in our study of this passage, that you would illuminate the meaning of this text to us. Help us to glorify you, Lord, through our study of of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So leave your Bibles open. We're going to work our way through these four verses, uh, piece by piece. Now, verse 1 tells us that God is a creative communicator. He spoke through the prophets, at many times, in many ways. You go back to the very beginning of Scripture, right? Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created. He created ex nihilo, out of nothing, through the word. He spoke the world into existence. Let there be light. So God spoke and the world existed. God has spoken through angelic messengers. We see this throughout Scripture as well. Old Testament, New Testament, you name it, God uses angels to communicate. God has spoken, of course, through his prophets, through the apostles. He spoke through a burning bush on one occasion, in Exodus where Moses meets God in the wilderness. He spoke through wind, thunder, earthquakes on Mount Sinai. He has spoken through the majesty of his creation, right? Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. God spoke to the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings through a still, small whisper, a voice. God has frequently spoken through dreams and visions. He's spoken through the mouths of men and women, adults and children. I think of Samuel In 1 Samuel, a child who heard the word of the Lord. God has spoken through humble shepherds. He has spoken through powerful pagan kings. Nebuchadnezzar would be an example. He spoke through a hand writing on a wall in Persia. He spoke by engraving his word on tablets of stone. When Moses received the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. God even spoke on one occasion through the mouth of well, an ass, a donkey, right? God speaks in a lot of creative ways. If God wants to say it, he will find a way to say it. But his most extraordinary and spectacular word came in the form of the Son, right, Jesus Christ. God spoke to us in a visible and tangible way through the sun. So verses one and two lay out a very important contrast in this passage. So up until the time of Jesus, God had been preparing his people, the people of Israel, for the coming of their Messiah through the prophetic words of his servants. That is how God spoke. Piece by piece, God was filling in the story, building the anticipation for this event that would change the world. Many prophets received a word from the Lord, but when Christ appeared, when Jesus came into the world, he came as the complete and final revelation of God. This is why the apostles wrote down what Jesus said and did under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. No more is needed. All that has been said has been said, right? We need no no more. So so the author of Hebrews is reminding us of this. We've been given what we need for obedience and salvation. There's no need to speculate, no need to worry. No need to wait for further words. God has accomplished his covenant promises made to Adam, to Abraham, and to David. And those of us living in these last days, as the text says, the the last days, these times since Christ has come into the world, for those of us living in these last days, we have been given the privilege of walking in faith and in knowledge of the Son of God through the work of Jesus Christ at the cross and by the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. That is a wonderful and beautiful truth. So God didn't give us obscure concepts. God did not give us indecipherable abstractions in his word. The author of Hebrews is telling us that through the Son, all the power, all the authority of God is manifest. Okay, in Jesus Christ, all of the grace of God, all of his justice, all of his love, his mercy, his compassion, all of his divine attributes are present in Jesus Christ. You see, many religions will claim to transmit a word from God. They'll say, okay, well, you've got your Bible, but we've got something to add to that, something to clear up any misconceptions or questions you might have. You've got your, 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 your Bible. We have holy books that contain definitive statements from God. They'll claim to have a reliably propagated oral tradition. They'll claim to have received special knowledge of God through their meditations and trances and, and, and things of that nature. But the beauty of the Christian faith is that we have the Word made flesh. We have the final revelation, Jesus Christ. So, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 tells us that words are important, but not only are words important, the author of those words is important. And not only is the author of those words important, but the way in which those words are transmitted is also important. So, look at it this way. Imagine uh, a young couple anticipating their, their wedding day. Okay, so they, they've, they've gathered for the wedding. Uh, the day of the wedding has, has arrived. The guests have assembled in the church. The officiant, the, the, the pastor begins to speak, and he turns to the groom, and he says to him, do you, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? And the man replies, I do. And then the pastor, the officiant, turns to where the woman should be standing and asks her, and do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? But there's no response. Um, the clock ticks on awkwardly, but still no response. And, and that's because the bride actually isn't there. But then the groom receives a, a little text message in his, on his phone. He pulls it out, and there's a thumbs up, and a I do, and a few emojis, and, and that sort of thing. Um, is something strange about that scenario I think so, right? It just doesn't work, right? These words, when spoken through uh, an emoji on on a text message, fail to transmit the emotion, the love, the substance, and the commitment of a marriage vow in a credible way, obviously, right? So the content of God's covenant promise, and this is the idea here, the the, the, the content of God's covenant promise of salvation for His people would have lacked substance had God not actually fulfilled that promise by means of sending the incarnate Word. See, the hope of the Word made text is in God's glorious grace given to us through the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. God doesn't make empty promises. He fulfills those promises. So God loves us so much that he takes great care in how he communicates that love. He spoke precisely and truly through the prophets, as we read in verse 1, and he spoke precisely and truly through Jesus Christ, the Son. Now, when God speaks, he speaks for his glory, but he also speaks for our salvation. I want us to take a look at verses 2 through 4. God confirms his promises to us through the birth, death, resurrection, ascension, glorification of Jesus. So what God says is inextricably connected to what God does. You cannot separate what God says and what God does. Verse 2 tells us that God speaks through the Son. And so the natural question is, well, what what has God said? What does God say through the Son? And what's interesting here is that instead of being given an eloquent discourse or a neatly organized expose in three points, nicely and neatly packaged on what God has said, we're actually told what God has done. The text here explains who Jesus is. There are seven things that are mentioned here. Let's work our way through these seven points, these seven descriptions of who Jesus is in verses two through four. The first thing is that Jesus is the heir of all things. Jesus is the heir of all things. Now, that seems like kind of a strange statement since he is God. How is he the heir of all things? But as heir, as the inheritor, Jesus owns all things. That's simply what what the text is, is telling us. The entirety of the universe, all of time and space, all of the physical and spiritual realities All of time, past, present, future, contingencies of of various kinds, knowledge of every kind, all of this belongs to Jesus Christ. It all falls under his authority. That's what it means that he is the heir of all things. All that belongs to the Father belongs to the Son. Now, secondly, we see that through Jesus, the world was created, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. That's the opening of John's Gospel. Jesus Christ is creator. You see, it's impossible to speak of God creating the world without also acknowledging the creational function of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together in perfect unison in creation. But as God speaks to us through his Son, we find the third thing in this list is that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. The radiance of the glory of God. Now, do you remember reading about the overwhelming glory of God, the mere reflection of which was enough to transform the face of Moses into a bright, radiant light? Remember when Moses met God on Mount Sinai? Moses was given a glimpse of the backside of God's glory as he passed Moses was hidden in the cleft of the rock, so he would not stand face to face with the full-on glory of God. And yet he still walked away, shining like the sun. I was reminded of something uh, the reformer John Calvin had said about the glory of God, that those who experience it experience horror and amazement. People who encounter God are impressed And also disturbed by the presence of God. That's what the glory of God does. We cannot stand in his presence as fallen, sinful human beings. So Moses experienced the glory of God. Isaiah experienced the glory of God. Isaiah chapter 6. Remember, he goes before the throne room of God, and he falls down on his face. Woe is me, woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Woe to me. Again, the glory of God, the overwhelming power of God. Peter, James, and John were taken up onto the mountainside with Jesus and experienced his transfiguration. They were given a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ, they stood there in awe of that glory so just as the blinding light of the sun is inseparable from the sun itself so too is the blinding glory of jesus christ inseparable from the glory of his father in jesus christ we experience the glory of god but look at the next part The fourth thing we see describing Jesus, Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. You see, we humans are made in the image of God. We read about that in Genesis 1. We are image bearers of God. We reflect some aspects, characteristics of God. But see, Jesus is much more than that. He's more than a mere symbol or representative of God. He is the exact expression of God because he is God. He is everything God is. Nothing can be added to him to make him more God than he already is. You see, all of God's divine attributes are found in Jesus Christ. And because of this, the fifth thing we see, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, Jesus is more powerful than all of the gods of the Roman and Greek mythologies that would have been pervasive at that time, the first century when this book would have been written. Jesus is much more powerful. See, the Greeks would have looked to the Titan Atlas as the one who held up the celestial sphere at the edge of, of the West. You know that story, Atlas holding the world on his, his shoulders, that, that sort of thing. The reality is Jesus does better than that. Okay, that's what the text is telling us. Jesus does much better than Atlas, and by his very speech, he creates. By his very speech, he sustains creation, and the Greek term used here uh, is the word "rema." It means his word, the word that is the personal, direct, relational speech of God that transforms hearts. So what the author of Hebrews is saying is that there is true power in the propositional utterances of Jesus Christ. And let me just bring that down to a very practical level here. When you read the Gospels, these are words that drove out demons. These are words that healed the sick. These are words that raised the dead to life. These are words that transformed people's lives. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. And this speaks to the sixth descriptive term for Jesus. Jesus made purification for sin. Now, part of God's sovereign plan was creation, redemption, and glorification. And we sometimes wrongly think that the Garden of Eden was plan A, and then everything went wrong, and God had to scramble to figure out what to do, and now we're living in this kind of plan B the aftermath of of Eden, of the fall. If that is how you view redemptive history, I would encourage you to strike that idea from your mind right now, because that is not what the Bible teaches. There is no plan B, okay? There's just plan A. Ephesians chapter one tells us that from before, and that's a key word, before the creation of the world, God had already set aside a people for himself. Before the creation of the world, in love, God predestined us to be adopted as sons. There's no plan B, only plan A. So God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still detestable, God sent Jesus to give his life in our place. God purifies the impure, the unlovable. Were given the opportunity to know true love in in Christ. And all of this culminates then with the glorious ascension of Jesus Christ to the right hand of the Father. And this is the final thing we see in the passage as we look at verses 3 and 4. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high above the angels, superior to the angelic beings. And by sitting down at the right hand of the Father, Jesus has indicated that he has accomplished his plan. He is exalted. He reigns forever. All authority, all power has been given to him. So the point of these verses is to remind us that God's actions reinforce his words. The actions of the word reinforce the words of the word, if you follow me. In his love, God has communicated everything necessary for our salvation. If actions speak louder than words, then God has spoken loudly. He has spoken loudly through his son. If you doubt for a moment that God loves you, then just look at what he has done for you. God has spoken loud and clear. So the question is, are we listening? And we can all point to those circumstances, those times where we have miscommunicated Right? We've said it wrong. Maybe a text message you shouldn't have sent, an email you wish you could take back, maybe some comment that slipped out in the wrong place at the wrong time. These things happen. I was thinking recently of a few years back I had, when I began my PhD studies at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland, I had been taking frequent trips from from France up to Aberdeen and on one occasion, I sat down on a bus, uh took the bus into the city, and, and I sat next to this older Scottish gentleman, and he wanted to strike up a conversation. I didn't understand a word he said. We were both native English speakers, but if you've ever been to Scotland, that Scottish brogue can be very difficult to follow. I had no idea we were speaking the same language. I finally, it felt like minutes had gone by. It was probably just a few seconds, but I had to apologetically tell him, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm, not, I'm not understanding what you're, what you're saying. Um, I did make out enough to understand that he asked me then where I was from. I just mentioned, hey, you know, I'm traveling from France, just here for, for a brief visit, and he went right into French. He had spent his childhood in Paris and was a fluent French speaker. We ended our conversation in French, because neither of us native English speakers could understand one another. <laughs> language is a weird thing. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that whole scenario, that experience. Language is a strange thing, you know. We we don't always choose our words judiciously, right? Sometimes our body language can be inscrutable and and, and difficult to follow. We we get it wrong. God gets it right. God gets it right every time. He has spoken words of truth, words of rebuke, words of gentleness, words of compassion, words of salvation. We need to listen. And so let me encourage you with this. God has the final word. No matter what circumstances you find yourselves in, God has the final word. God has the final word over your discouragement, God has the final word over your pain. God has something to say about your anxiety and your fear, about your sin. God gets the final word and that final word is Jesus Christ. So again, my question is, are we listening? God has spoken, are we listening? Now I wanna take us into a time of communion. Or we're going to ponder this a little bit more. What is God saying? What has God said to you through His Word today? Uh, we're moving more in the direction here at Bergen Park Church of, of celebrating communion on a weekly uh, basis. This is spiritual uh, nourishment for us. Okay, we eat every day. We eat physical food every day. We need to eat spiritual food as well. Uh, prayer, Word, Sacrament. And so I want to take us to Matthew 26. So if you have not picked, up, um, not picked up the communion elements, we do have a few here in the back. There's a tray here in the front as well. Please pick up the communion elements. I want to read what uh, Scripture says about communion, and then we will take the communion together in, in just a moment. Okay? So Matthew 26, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins." I tell you, I I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And you know what took place there in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus prayed to his Father, not my will, but your will be done." And it was the will of the Father that Jesus Christ would go to the cross on our behalf and pay our penalty of sin. Our sin was imputed to Jesus. His righteousness imputed to us. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have relationship with God. That's the good news of the gospel. By believing in Jesus Christ, you can have eternal life. We sang earlier, I've decided to follow Jesus. If you have made that decision to follow Jesus, then I encourage you to take communion today to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for you. So let's take a moment to, to ponder, to pray, to reflect. Father, we, we confess as a congregation, as a church, that we have decided to follow Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your grace that has transformed our hearts, raised us from spiritual death into spiritual life. We thank you for the grace that has even made faith possible for us that we can turn to you in repentance and believe. Lord, we confess together that we are fallen people in need of a Savior. We confess our sin, and Lord, we ask that you would transform us, sanctify us, cleanse us and purify us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Jesus took the bread, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen.